listening to a podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada, located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. You always have the poor with you. That's what Jesus said in response to Judas' objection that Mary was being wasteful in her anointing of Jesus' feet with this costly perfume. Why, Judas said, why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? And then, because in John's view, Judas has already shown himself to be a villain and a cheat, that little parenthetical statement is added. Judas said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. You always have the poor with you. It's not hard-heartedness, fatalism, or callousness that leads Jesus to say this, nor, I think, is it to be taken as a statement of God's will, as in, it's God's will that some people are poor. This side of the kingdom of God, it's simply and sadly true. When I was in university, I spent a couple of years working for a juvenile probation unit. I ran a recreation program and a work experience program for young offenders. One of the kids in my programs kind of attached himself to me. And even after I'd moved to another job, he'd, he'd call me up and arrange to go out for a hamburger or to shoot a game of pool, which he always won. He was a hugely likable young guy. He's full of life and laughter. But he'd grown up in a really rough home in a really rough neighborhood and had got himself in trouble. The offense that had landed him on, on probation... He'd robbed a Dickie D ice cream cart for the money, not just the ice cream, though I think he took the ice cream too. Never mind that the kid who was working and riding that Dickie D ice cream bike knew where this young guy lived, who he was. It wasn't the canniest of crimes, it was still robbery. And robbery is not taken lightly in the justice system, so he ended up in our program. He was 14 then when I first met him. He's 50 now. And he still calls me several times a year. The call often comes from the hospital, as he's lived a really rough life. And now he has serious liver trouble from drinking and diabetes from a terrible diet. He might be 50, but because he's lost most of his teeth, he looks more like he's 70. If the call isn't coming to ask me to visit him in the hospital, it will be to ask him out with just a bag of emergency groceries, just this time, Jamie. He's never been any good with his money. You always have the poor with you, Jesus said. This guy's also never had a job. Aside from his participation in my work experience program all those years ago, where we had the kids do things like rake lawns and deliver flyers in exchange for a little bit of money, he's actually never worked for any kind of pay. 
He's on disability now, but before that it was social assistance, year after year after year of social assistance. He was raised by a mother, a single mother, who also never had a paying job, nor did any of his four grandparents. He has five adult daughters, and they're all living on social assistance, as are all of his growing grandchildren, generation after generation after generation. You always have the poor with you, Jesus said. The idea that people actually pay income tax is a complete mystery to this guy. You see, in his world, income tax is something that you get. You take the paperwork issued you by your welfare worker, and you go to one of those income tax services, and in short order, they tell you how much you've got coming because it's not very complicated. You always have the option of an instant rebate. It costs you 15% on the first $300 and 5% on the rest of your refund. But my friend has never been able to resist the temptation of the immediate rebate, cash back. Right away, his year of living pretty close to the bone. It's not a, it's not a high living life, you know living pretty close to the bone, becomes this few days of spending, spending. In his drinking days, that meant a lot of beer. Now that his liver is in such bad shape and he's had to quit drinking, it might mean a big screen TV, which he can't really afford, or an expensive, like a really expensive new stroller for one of his grandchildren. Or maybe that leather jacket and pair of really good-looking leather boots he's been thinking about all year. And then it's gone. It's a feast and famine way of looking at the world. You feast hard when the money's in hand, and then you just kind of wait out the famine for another year. You always have the poor with you. We've actually made several really bold attempts at getting this guy to organize his money differently including one really ingenious one in which I would be the banker. I would hang on to his income tax money, tuck it away somewhere safely at home, and then I would dole it out to him in in kind of reasonable monthly installments over the course of even six months. He was still drinking then, so it was about six hours after he gave me the envelope of cash. I think it was something like $750, And he was knocking on my door, asking for more, just this once, more. Out front was a cab. His aunt and two of his cousins were in the cab, and they were obviously out on a tear. So my short career as a banker came to an abrupt end. You always have the poor with you, Jesus had said. See, Jesus knew people. He knew the human condition. In all of its ups and all of its downs, all of its complexities. So he knew people like my friend in his world. He knew. He also knew the Torah. And I suspect he was actually riffing off a teaching from the book of Deuteronomy here. A teaching that says, there will never cease to be some in need on the earth. There will never cease to be some in need on the earth which is then followed by, I therefore command you, open your hand to the poor and needy neighbor in your land. 
which is, of course, the very thing Jesus did with the whole of his life, the whole fabric of his life. Steadily, he opened his hand, he opened his heart, he opened his life to the most broken and needy people in his world. Sometimes he did it to the point where it seemed to rather exhaust him, both physically but also spiritually, and so he'd have to go away from the crowd. But he kept doing it. Yet here in this scene from the gospel according to John, Jesus also opened himself to a rather extravagant gift lavished on him by Mary. He says more to Judas than just, you always have the poor with me. He says, leave her alone. When Judas starts to to poke, leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Jesus points, in other words, to his approaching death and to the fact that Mary's anointing of him. The Hebrew word Messiah means anointed one. Mary's anointing of him is an implicit recognition of who he truly is. Leave her alone. She's telling the truth right now. There's the theologian Elisio Perez Alvarez notes. This act is also one that quite powerfully puts money in its place. The perfume price, comments Perez Alvarez, the perfume price was 300 denarii, namely a yearly salary. But Mary didn't care. She put that recently coined money in its place at Jesus' feet. Golden heaven's streets send precisely the same message. Gold is to be stepped on. Perez Alvarez also notes that in the gospel according to John, Jesus' ministry is launched with a wedding banquet marked by this extraordinary abundance of wine. Some 400 liters, in fact. This abundance is is a kind of a foreshadowing of what will follow. And in a sense, it's confirmed by Mary's act of anointing his feet with that kind of abundant, extravagant act. This abundance courses right through John's gospel account. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly, Jesus proclaims. That's not about endless consumerism, nor shallow notions of success or prosperity, It's life in its fullness, both in the promise of a fully realized reign of God coming, but here now, in the meantime. And that abundance is tasted in the wine of the wedding banquet at Cana. It's seen in the wildly loving act of Mary pouring that perfume out on Jesus' feet. And I would want to suggest it's still seen now in art, in music, in words that feed our souls, open our imaginations, and remind us that even on a dreary, dreary March day like this one, gray is not the only color in the divine palette. I'm reminded of how the philosopher of aesthetics, Calvin Seerveld, engages this act of Mary when he says, When art is crafted for God and neighbor, 
And that means art of words and visuals and dance and music and all of those expressions. When art is crafted for God and neighbor, it is spilled like an offering of perfume, as this woman did. It's not a waste, never a waste, yet. Because Jesus is also concerned to remind us that you always have the poor with you, Abundant life, our abundant life, must also be expressed in that Deuteronomic call to open your hand to the poor and needy neighbor in your land. Whatever I have to offer to my friend in all of his lostness, be that visits in the hospital, that occasional bag of groceries here and there, perhaps even one last attempt to help him manage that income tax rebate a little later. He didn't ask me this year. (laughs) Whatever I can offer, it has to be offered with that open hand of Deuteronomy 15.11, which means my hands have to be free of all moralizing and scolding, tempting as it can be. Boy, it's tempting to scold him. But i got to be free of that. And that, along with a profound and humble gratefulness for the ways in which my own life has been marked by the abundant and extravagant love of Jesus, that's my response, because he's poured it out like oil on my head too. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. listening to a podcast from St. Benedict's Table. For more information on the church or to offer your support for our ministries, visit us online at stbenedictstable.ca.